This morning we're going to talk about leading and responding with grace and humility. And it really is a passage that speaks more directly to the leaders of the church, and yet there is instruction for three groups of people, really two groups, and then he combines them. And uh, what I'd like to do first this morning is we're going to pray for another local church, uh, Faith Baptist Church in Longmont. Uh, Some of you have friends there. We have some of our folks who have family up there. And we're going to pray for them, and we're also going to pray for a few of our members' needs. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll ask God not just to teach us this morning, but to give us a heart to obey Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your love for us, even as we enter into this again Uh, a new year. We've already seen your faithfulness. We've seen your grace. And Lord, we praise you for your goodness. We pray this morning for Faith Baptist Church in Longmont as they'll gather uh, at 10 o'clock this morning. We pray uh, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are. As we've been looking uh, in your word in 1 Peter, that they would stand firm in grace, we pray for Pastor Tory and his wife Jeline Jaspers, for Kip and Nikki Dawn, and Barry and Gail Gert as they lead, that you would give them joy in ministering, perseverance and endurance through difficulty. And Lord, may they, as we will look at in the text this morning, look beyond temporary glory and look to a time when you, our chief shepherd, will return. We also pray for Mindy Jackson and her family as they grieve the loss of her grandfather. We pray for Richard and Rebecca Estel as they have now just entered their second week of marriage, that they would grow together, that they would grow in grace together, and that you would continue to use them in this church and in this community for your glory. So now give us ears to hear and incline our hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, as Josh asked you, please open your scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're just going to jump right in. We're going to talk about, I mean, who is Peter addressing here? Because there's there's different terms. There's there's the term elders and there's the term younger. I mean, who are the younger? Uh, It's not extremely descriptive, um, but we want to just open this up so we can understand the exhortations because that's what Peter says he's going to do. He says, I'm going to exhort you. Okay? The word exhort means to encourage or admonish or invite to come along. So Peter is talking to these, these believers, these churches up in these provinces, and he's going to admonish and encourage them. There's three groups of people. Verse 1, elders. Who are they? In verse 5, younger. That's all it says. And then also in verse 5, he says, all of you. First term, elders, is a common term rich with meaning, both from the Old Testament, Inner Testament, and New Testament periods. It is the most common designation used for a man holding office of oversight in the church. It is used interchangeably with two other words, shepherd and overseer. Actually, the term shepherd is only used one time even though we are, we are most comfortable, I think, in this church calling us pastors. Uh, that term is only used in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and it's shepherd-teacher. The most common term is elder. 
And it means one a shepherd from Poimain is one who tends a flock, a guardian, a superintendent. And you're actually going to see all three terms. The reason we use elder, overseer, shepherd interchangeably is because that's how the Bible uses them. The New Testament will use them interchangeably. You'll actually see this in this passage. This is one of the key texts to show that the elders shepherd and their shepherding is qualified by a certain kind of oversight. Okay, you're going to see that. The noun, elders. Okay, then the verb, shepherd. And then an adverb, which is going to qualify what he's doing, is oversight. So elders, shepherd with oversight. Okay, that's just what the text is saying. So there's instruction for church leaders in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5. There's a second group of people, and they're called younger. Peter most likely uses that term because it was the younger people that most often needed the reminder to line up. The, the term is subject or to get in line. Younger addresses a group of people who may be more inclined, either because of immaturity or lack of experience, to turn away, to not subject themselves, especially during difficulty. That's what Peter's writing. He's writing to them amidst suffering, amidst persecution, and it's going to be the younger people that are going to say, it's just not worth it to follow Christ with all this difficulty. So, Younger, listen to the advice of the elders. Line up under them. Refers to a group in the church not serving in the capacity of leadership, either for lack of experience or for lack of being qualified. So there is instruction for the younger in 1 Peter 5, 1-5. And then also in verse 5, he simply throws in this category, all of you. So who does that include? It's probably going to be the easiest question of the whole morning. That includes all of us. That includes elders, okay, those in leadership, and it includes younger, everyone else. Okay, so this is instruction for church leaders and church members. And so there's something in here for each of us. And this is the big idea, leading and responding, or you could say and following leading and lining up underneath with grace and humility. And folks, it is vital, not just when a church is going through difficulty and facing persecution, but it is vital to lead and respond with grace and humility. So let's look at the first verse. This big section is elders shepherd God's flock rightly. It's going to take four verses. So I exhort the elders among you. He's writing to the church because he's saying, I'm going to exhort the leaders among you. So it's the church that receives this letter, not just the leadership. So the church receives this and he says, I'm going to encourage or admonish or instruct the elders among you. And then look at what Peter says. He's actually going to identify himself in three ways. As a, what's the term? I'm going to exhort the elders as a what? Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he, used, he uses a very high-ranking title. He uses the word apostle. And Peter is. But here, as he comes into these, these, this church, and he's going to entreat and encourage, he's going to say, as a fellow elder, here's the second 
identification and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Here's the third identification, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He comes in as a fellow elder, a fellow leader. He identifies with them. With them. Really, he's already using humility to sort of step down from He's not abandoning his apostolic authority, but he's entreating them as a fellow elder because he personally understands their responsibilities, their fears, their dangers, their anxieties, and the pressures that leading in a church, especially as it's going through a difficult time, brings. Then he says this, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This, too, was a humble description because we have on record what kind of witness Peter was, right? What kind of witness was Peter when he faced difficult times? He folded and he denied Jesus three times. And then he stood in need of having to be restored publicly before others that he was going to lead. So for him to say a witness, everybody knew and had on record what kind of witness Peter was. But this also communicates grace to us because Peter was restored and Peter was established as a leader and Peter was told to tend the sheep of the great shepherd. How was he a witness? Well, Peter observed the tide of popularity turn suddenly against Jesus and Peter still followed. He saw the hostility and danger of institutionalized religion. And he saw the hate against the Messiah. He ate the last Passover meal with Jesus and observed his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He saw the betrayal of Judas. He witnessed the arrest. He witnessed the questioning before the high priest, which would then lead to his execution. Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and he now, having been restored, is a witness, and his witness would lead him to martyrdom in Rome. So, so Peter is exhorting the leaders to do the very thing he's doing. He is now steadfast and enduring, even in the face of death. But Peter identifies himself in a third way, and there's hope in this. He is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Do you know that failing and falling people still partake in glory? Do you know there is grace and hope for failing people? People who curse and deny Jesus Christ can be restored and partake in a glory that is yet to be had. And Peter identifies with the elders in this way. And then he launches off after establishing who he is and identifying with their weaknesses and their leadership responsibilities, he says this, shepherd the flock of God. It's the same term that Jesus used when he was restoring Peter. Do you remember Jesus would ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter would respond, you know, Lord, that I love you. And then what does he say? What did Jesus follow that up with? Feed my sheep. And now Peter, as an apostolic elder representative of Jesus, is telling the elders, telling the leaders in the church, feed my 
sheep. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The verb is connected down to verse 4. Look down at verse 4. Because this is the, the, the supreme motivation for shepherding rightly. Because the chief shepherd is going to appear. Chief shepherd. So the, the idea of the, the word shepherd is the same, but for Jesus Christ, it puts the word ark before it. Or we would say arch shepherd. This past week, my son and I had the privilege of reconnecting with one of my childhood friends. And we were able to go to lunch with three high-ranking active duty Navy SEALs. And my friend's on this side, and, and there's a master chief sitting to my left. Still active. He is the, the top authority when they're operating overseas. Master chief. So all the elite warriors who have already accomplished a lot in their life give an account to the master chief. Something goes wrong overseas, they lose communication. Guess who makes the final call? Master chief. And he's sitting there. It was a sobering lunch in, you know, just to hear these guys talk and interact, um, to realize that authority and what that inspires. Do you know what Peter says? There's a master chief coming. Chief shepherd. The arch shepherd. So I'm going to exhort you leaders in the church. I'm going to exhort the men in the church who take this office. You're doing this, but you have to give an account to the arch shepherd. He's coming back. This is exactly what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, preach the word in season, out of season. That doesn't mean, by the way, when you're prepared and when you're not prepared. The man ought always be prepared to preach. But it means when it's out of season, when it's popular, when it's hostile, when your life is being threatened. Okay, you preach the word in season, out of season. Why? Because Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus himself says he brings his reward with him. So it's no surprise when Peter writes to the elders about their task of shepherding, he explains what their oversight ought to look like, and he brings down onto that accountability. There are no lone ranger elders. There should be no benevolent dictator elders. There are no maverick elders. There is a head of this church. He's the chief. Shepherd. So Peter's going to say, I'm going to exhort you. This is what your under shepherding needs to look like. So he's going to use this term. Look at verse two. Shepherd the flock of God. That's the verb. That is among you now an adverb to qualify what shepherding looks like exercising oversight. Well, what does that mean? Peter is careful to qualify oversight, management, because there are sinful tendencies to which people in authority are prone. And he's going to, he's going to introduce these polar opposites. Not this, but this. He's going to use three of them. Okay, so shepherd, verb, exercising oversight, adverb. And now he's going to use these qualifying adverbial 
clauses. And he's going to say, not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. Let's look at these. Shepherd the flock of God with genuine inward desire, right outward manner, and proper motivation. So let's keep reading. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, so I'm not, I'm, as an elder, I am not responsible for another local church. We might, there might be some overlap. There's going to be a Christian brotherly care. Certainly there's going to be fellowship. Certainly we might come along and partner in some ministry. But as far as a local flock is concerned, these are the sheep of this flock. You are among us. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, well, what does that look like? What does the leadership look like? Not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you. Here's the second polar opposite. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Here's the third. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to or being examples uh, to the flock. Not under compulsion, but willingly. That means no man taking this office should do so because he's being forced to. He's not under constraint. Some of your translations have that. He's not being constrained or pressured or trapped to do this. Nor should he do this simply because this was the best job he could land right now. Or it's in a pleasant geographical location. You're not doing this under compulsion. Just because you can't find something better to do. Matter of fact, he uses the word willingly. But willingly as God would have you. It is a free choice stemming from a right desire. This is what Paul says in his qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. If you aspire to the office of overseer, you desire a good thing. It's two different words. In some translations, they use the, the word desire for both of those words, which would be accurate, but it, but it fails to, to show the difference. So if you are reaching out after something because you desire it so strong in your heart, you're going to pursue this overseeing. Scripture says you're desiring a good thing, but it's not enough just to desire it. You have to be qualified. Therefore, an overseer must be blameless. What does blameless look like? Well, he's going he's to unpack that in 1 Timothy 3 in Titus 1. So not under compulsion, but willingly. And that's the way God wants leaders in the church to be. As God would have you. He wants you to willingly serve. Look at the next polar opposite. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I'm, I'm so glad it doesn't say not for gain. Right? Because that means all, all the elders would need to be lay elders supporting themselves. But there's actually scriptural warrant to pay men who labor in preaching and teaching. Scripture is clear. 1 Timothy 5.18, the laborer deserves his wages. Scripture says that those who have sown spiritual things can reap material things, 1 Corinthians 9.11, and that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9.14, that elders who rule well 
are worthy of double honor. First Timothy 517 and Galatians 6, 6, the one who is taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches. So there's New Testament warrant and example for supporting elders. But not if they are greedy. Men who love money are unfit to serve Christ's church. Because abuse of the privilege also arose with the practice of paying elders. Let me read to you a few more verses. 1 Timothy 3.3 The overseer is not to be, this is one of his qualifications, a lover of money. It is the depraved person who imagines, quote, that godliness is a means of gain, 1 Timothy 6.5. It is the deceiver, not the qualified elder, who is, quote, upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. It is false prophets, 2 Peter 2.3, in their greed who will exploit you with false words. And Jude 11, it is the ungodly who abandon Christ to Balaam's error, quote, for the sake of gain. A man who loves money ought not serve as an elder. So he does it willingly. He does it eagerly. See, look at that, look at that part. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Eagerly is different than willingly. Willingly is of free choice. Eagerly is a desire. It is a proper attitude to serve and be ready to do the work. But he's not doing it simply for shameful or dishonest gain. So the proper attitude of an elder is an eagerness to give, not a desire to get. Now that's going to manifest itself because those two things were inward desires. Now I want to show you an outward manner. How, do, how would that display itself? If a guy is under compulsion and he's He's there when he shouldn't be, or he's there because he's forced, or if a guy is a lover of money, look at the next verse, verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge. This is one of the outward displays of wrong motivation. A person greedy for power will seek to increase his authority to control others. Or to implement a personal agenda. He will neither be humble, as Peter's going to get to, nor will he be teachable. He will be quick to take offense. He will be slow to restore after being offended. This man, contrary to any appearance he may craft otherwise, is a dangerous man in the church. You can identify this kind of individual because... He will use this phrase often. Because I'm your authority, that's why. Because I'm your pastor, that's why. But see, we're going to get to another, another exhortation where he says, all of you clothe yourself with what? Humility. And it's the elder, as much as it is the younger, who clothe themselves with humility, and that's how you interact not by forceful subjugation, not by power of a title, not by manipulation or intimidation, not by backing someone into the corner with arguments or debates, no, but being clothed with humility. And you'll know that an elder is clothed with humility because his eldership, his oversight, his pastoring will not be one of dominance, 
We call it the angry young man syndrome. You ever see that in the preaching? You know, they were red in the face and it's not even a scriptural doctrine. It's simply a mere far-stretched application. And, they, and, and they're going to accuse you of not loving God if you don't make this specific same application they make. And their accusation that you don't love God because you don't do it that way, folks, that's domineering. And it's wrong. And it's not a proper handling of God's Word. So what is the alternative to domineering? Look at the text. Verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And Pastor Matt already read the example of Christ in 1 Peter 2. When He suffered, and He answered not a word, and He went before His shearers as a dumb sheep. Meekness, strength under control, humility, considering others more important than yourself. Being examples to the flock. So it's not by the force of submission, it is by the power of example. Matthew chapter 20, 25, Jesus called the disciples to Him and He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over. That's the same word. The same word for domineering. They lord it over. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority. And then Jesus says, that this, is, this is staggering. Are you ready? Okay, they lord it over. They exercise authority. It shall not be so among you. When we're talking about elders and when we're talking about leadership in the church, we're not talking about untouchable, high-powered CEOs. Jesus says, it shall not be that way among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Wayne Grudem, in his commentary on 1 Peter, warns, those who select church leaders should realize that academic excellence and administrative or financial skills do not automatically qualify one for leadership in the church as they would for leadership in the university or business worlds. Okay, so in review, elders shepherd the flock. Okay, well, what does that look like? Exercising oversight. Okay, well, what does that look like? Not leading because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not leading because you are greedy for money, but because you are eager to serve. Not leading by domineering over those entrusted to you, but by being an example to the flock. And now Peter moves to the proper motivation. He goes from inward desire to outward manner to a proper motivation for the elders. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is, so Peter, he would say this probably in our vernacular. Okay, look beyond this world's honor and this world's temporal rewards and everything that you can gain even in that kind of position. Look beyond that and look to a time when the chief shepherd appears. And it's not just the appearance of a person. He's actually going to give incentive. He's going to give motivation. You will receive something. This is the motivation. Paul gives the same motivation. You will receive the unfading crown 
of glory. Unfading, interesting word in the Greek. There's a flower named after this word. It's the amaranth flower. Don't Google search that now, but at the Coffee Connect time, it is a be- hit amaranth flower, hit images, and it is this incredibly beautiful, I mean, I'm, I'm red-green colorblind, but I see this flower. I see the red on this flower. And the reason this flower is used to make the crowns that they would reward to the athletes is that the red color would never fade. It would stay. It was brilliant. That's the word that Peter is using here. Now, they might have named the flower after Peter used the word, but the word means unfading. And you're going to get this amaranth crown when the chief shepherd, when the master chief comes back. You're going to get this reward And it's an unfading crown of glory. Peter used the opposite image in chapter 1 of something that does fade. He says, for all flesh is like grass. Right? All flesh is like grass and all its glory, human glory, is like the flower of the grass. And let me tell you about that because this is not the amaranth flower. This is grass. And human glory is like this. It fades and withers. That's the contrast Peter is putting forward here. Temporal human glory and beauty and popularity withers and fades. But faithfulness to God and leading and responding in a right manner with grace and humility, there will be an eternal crown of glory. So, that's verses 1 through 4. Now, in much less space, Peter's going to instruct the younger. Look at, chapter, or look at verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, okay, just like I've exhorted the elders, you who are younger, here's your exhortation, be subject to the elders. Now, Peter, in commanding others in the church to be subject, implies that elders have genuine authority in the church. That's why he cautions them about what their oversight looks like. It shouldn't look like this, but this. Not done for this, but for this. Right? And it shouldn't be like this, but it should be like this. He's cautioning what their leadership should look like. So, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay, real real quick, this whole point in one sentence. The advice to this group is to listen to the wisdom of the elders and live in accordance with their instruction. That's their responsibility. Would you say, well, I've been under an abusive, you know, verbally or an emotionally abusive pastor. Okay, but Peter already addressed that. That has to be dealt with. And a healthy church will deal with that problem. And they'll deal with it on the elder level. And if he doesn't repent, it will be dealt with on the church level. But a man that is like that cannot stay in office. Okay, so assuming you... You are in a church where the elders shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, an oversight that looks like this. Okay, well then, the younger, subject yourselves to them. Listen to their advice. Listen to their counsel. Line up underneath their instruction as they handle God's Word correctly. And now, in closing, Peter addresses everyone. Look at verse 5 again. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And now he's going, to, he's going to go into the exhortation, but he's going to say this, clothe yourselves, all of you. This is, this is how all our interpersonal relationships in this flock ought to be characterized by. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Well, why is that important? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God gives favor to the humble. Present tense, right now. God is actively, right now, opposing proud people. And He is, right now, presently, actively, giving grace, giving favor to humble people. That's why you can trust God. You can entrust your souls to God. And you can let Him deal with your enemies. Because He is right now, present, active, in time, opposing proud people. Humility is an attitude which puts others first. So whether a leader, elders, or a lay person, younger, whether a shepherd, or whether the flock, whether old or young, Christians are to develop a deferential and humble attitude toward one another. It's the same word Paul uses in Philippians 2 when he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, there's the word, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's interesting, this this phrase, this picture that Peter used, clothe yourselves. It's like in the morning, you're standing there before your closet or an open drawer. For some of you young men, a pile of clothes on your floor. And you're like, which one's less wrinkled? Right? I'm just guessing at that. But it's like you're you're trying to choose an outfit. And and Peter's going to say, okay, I'm going to make it easy. Clothe yourself with that. With humility. And Peter quotes Proverbs 3.34, which says, To the humble he gives favor. You choose that out. There's a choice going on where I'm going to think more of others than myself. I'm not just going to be all about me today. I'm going to be sensitive to the needs and the hurts of those around me. I'm going to be sensitive to serve others. Sunday morning is not just going to be about me and what I get and how I feel. It's going to be about coming together and serving others being more interested in others, just like Jesus, who came from glory down to poverty. Why? For you and me. Paul says, let that mind be in you. Why is this the case that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? Because the humble trust God while the proud trust only themselves and their circumstances. Because the humble considers others more important than themselves, while the proud look out only for themselves. Because the humble lead willingly, eagerly, and as examples, while the proud lead under compulsion for shameful gain and by dominance. Because the humble subject themselves to their God-given spiritual authorities, while the proud rebel and refuse to follow. And when God looks down, He gives favor to those clothed with humility. Which means he will give favor to a church clothed in humility. Elders clothed in humility whose shepherding oversight will look like Peter says it should look. Members clothed in humility who will subject themselves 
regardless of what position or title or power they may have in the community, they will come here and they will clothe themselves in humility and they will listen to the voice of other godly people around them. Therefore, Peter says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another because to the humble God gives favor. It is vital we as Christ's church lead and respond with grace and humility. And even through difficult times, Peter will say this, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it.